Welcome to Washington Today on C-SPAN Radio for Tuesday, February 27th, 2024. President Joe Biden urges the top Republican and Democratic leaders of the House and Senate to act quickly to extend federal government funding and avoid a shutdown. He also says the House should bring to a vote a Senate-passed bill that aids Ukraine and Israel. After the White House Oval Office meeting, Speaker Mike Johnson, a Republican, says he is very optimistic a government shutdown will not happen. And the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, a Democrat, says they are making good progress toward that goal. Speaker Johnson also telling reporters that U.S. border security remains critical in all the funding discussions. Senate Democrats seek to pass a federal bill to protect access to in vitro fertilization in response to the Alabama Supreme Court's ruling that embryos are legally children and that IVF providers in Alabama have now stopped seeing patients. On the war between Israel and Hamas, questions to the State Department spokesperson about what President Biden said on Monday that he thinks there could be a ceasefire agreement in place by next week. And a Senate Foreign Relations subcommittee hearing on the U.S. military response to deter Houthi rebel attacks in the Red Sea brings up questions about how long it could last and whether it counts as hostilities under the War Powers Act requiring the approval of Congress. From the Washington Post, President Biden and congressional leaders appear to agree Tuesday to press forward to prevent a government shutdown. But in a gathering that one lawmaker called the most intense Oval Office meeting of his career, officials remain divided on U.S. support for Ukraine as Russia begins to make battlefield gains in its two-year-old invasion. Biden summoned the top four leaders of Congress to the White House in an attempt to steer a deadlocked Congress away from a partial government shutdown that is set to begin at the stroke of midnight Saturday. Even a partial closure would force vital services at the Department of Transportation offline. Food stamp programs could quickly run low on funding. Housing assistance for millions of families would fall into jeopardy. And another larger government shutdown cliff awaits just a week later when funds for the defense and state departments will also expire unless Congress acts. That was the summary from The Washington Post. President Biden spoke for a few minutes in the Oval Office before the meeting began with the Vice President Kamala Harris and the congressional leaders sitting on the couches. All right, well, thanks for all being here. Look, uh, I want to thank the leaders for being here today. We've got a lot of work to do. We've got to figure out how we're going to keep uh, funding the government, which is an important problem, an important solution we need to find, and I think we can do that. And uh, in Ukraine, I think the need is urgent. I hope we can speak to that a little bit. And uh, I think the consequences of inaction every day in Ukraine are dire. I've been speaking to some of our our G7 partners, and, and you just got back, Chuck. Uh, they're very concerned. And uh, also, we need to uh, we we need to, in terms of supplemental, we need to deal with the Israeli portion. But that also contains a significant portion having to do with humanitarian assistance and the Palestinian area. That I think is important. And uh, we have to replenish the air defenses for Israel, and we have to work on making sure they don't face the threat from, they can face the threat from the, uh, from what's going on in the Middle East, not just from uh, Hamas, but from Iran. And uh, so, uh, and government funding, uh, I'm sure you guys had all of that, I'll take care of it, but uh, I can decide, I think that the, Congress's responsibility from the government. We've got to get about doing a shutdown would damage the economy significantly, and I think we all agree to that. And we need a bipartisan solution. So uh, I 
want to hear from the group, and uh, I want to hear from all of you here. So thank you all for coming. That's what we're going to be talking about. Thank you. President Biden in the White House Oval Office before the meeting began with, he mentioned Chuck, that's Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, Democrat. Also there was the Senate Minority Leader, Mitch McConnell, Republican. And on the House side, Speaker Mike Johnson, Republican, and Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, Democrat. After the meeting, all four top congressional leaders spoke about how it went. Three of them in the White House driveway, one back on Capitol Hill. Democrats came out first. Here is Senator Chuck Schumer. Well, it was both a productive and an intense meeting. Uh, Productive meeting on the government shutdown. Um, We we are making good progress. Uh, We made it very clear. The the speaker said unequivocally he wants to avoid a government shutdown. Uh, We made it clear that that means not letting any of the government appropriations bills lapse, which means you need some CRs to get that done. But we're making good progress and we're hopeful we can get this done really quickly. Um, There are a little back and forth on different issues that different people want, but I don't think those are insurmountable. The fact that, uh, um, that we made it so clear that we can't have the shutdown because it hurts so many people in so many different ways, even for a short period of time, was very apparent in the room. And the speaker did not reject that. He said he wants to avoid a government shutdown. So that was very heartening. The meeting on um, Ukraine was one of the most intense I have ever encountered in my many meetings in the Oval Office. The four of us all together led, first person to speak was Leader McConnell, well, the five of us, the president, the vice president, Leader McConnell, Speaker, uh, Leader Jeffries, and myself, made it so clear how vital this was to the United States. This was so, so important. And that we couldn't afford to wait a month or two months or three months because we, w- we would, in all likelihood, lose the war. NATO would be fractured at best, allies would turn away from the United States, and the boldest leaders, the boldest autocrats of the world, the Putins, the Xi's, the presidents of North North Korea, I like the governor of North Carolina, actually, Uh, the presidents of uh, North Korea and Iran would be emboldened, thinking that the United States was this soft, fat, a country that lost its way and would take advantage. And so we said to the speaker, get it done. I told him, this is one of the moments, I said, I've been around here a long time. It's maybe four or five times that history is looking over your shoulder. And if you don't do the right thing, whatever the immediate politics are, you will regret it. I told him two years from now and every year after that, because really it's in his hands. It's in his hands. We told him how important it was. It was passionate. I talked about my trip to Ukraine where I met soldiers who had Russian artillery in range with the drones they have, but had no ammunition to fire at. 
We talked about four brigades who are ready to go, Ukrainian, no arms, and how serious the lack of arms commitment was. And it was the consensus in that room, Zelensky and Ukraine will lose the war if we don't get the arms and don't get them quickly. The speaker brought up the border. We made it very clear to him that we want to do something real on border. And in fact, we Democrats in the Senate supported a border bill that very conservative groups, including the Border Patrol agents, the Wall Street Journal editorial page, and uh, Chamber of Commerce were for, but said to hold up Ukraine, which as he admitted was a national imperative, because you can't do something else which we all should work on, was a non sequitur. There was no logic. There's a logic to solving the border. We want to solve it. But we, have to, but we have to do Ukraine right now because there's an await with that can get done quickly because that has broad bipartisan consensus and the border takes some more work, which we'll be happy to work on to get it done, but not hold up the Ukraine bill for it. The Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York in the White House driveway after the meeting in the Oval Office with President Biden and the congressional leaders, both Republican and Democrat. Standing beside Chuck Schumer was the House Minority Leader, Hakeem Jeffries, also Democrat from New York. It was an intense meeting. It was an honest meeting. And ultimately, it was a productive meeting. We discussed three issues. First, the need to avoid a government shutdown and to fund the government so that we can address the needs of the American people in terms of their health, their safety, and their economic well-being. We are making real progress on the appropriations bills that are scheduled to lapse on March 1st. And I'm cautiously optimistic uh, that we can do what is necessary within the next day or so to close down these bills and avoid a government shutdown. At the same time, it may be important to come to an agreement that's bipartisan and anchored in common sense to extend the pending expiration of the eight additional bills that are scheduled to lapse on March 8th so that good faith, tough negotiations can continue in the absence of a government shutdown. Second, we discussed the urgent national security priorities of the American people as captured in the bipartisan comprehensive Senate passed legislation. This is an existential moment for the free world as it relates to being there for our democratic allies in Ukraine, in Israel, and in the Indo-Pacific, and also at the same period of time, making sure that we provide humanitarian assistance to Palestinian civilians who are in harm's way in Gaza or in other theaters of war through no fault of their own. Third, as Leader Schumer indicated, we had an open and honest and a candid, firm discussion about the border. We all agree that we have a broken immigration system and there is a need to address the challenges at the border in a thoughtful, bipartisan way. As Democrats, we support a safe, a strong, a secure and a humane border. We just need our House Republican colleagues not to play politics and engage in political stunts relative to the border, but to sit down 
as was done in the Senate, and enter into good faith discussions about fixing our broken immigration system. As Democrats, we stand ready to do just that. Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, the Democratic leader of the House in the White House driveway, standing beside him, the Senate Democratic leader, Chuck Schumer. A Reuters article reads the White House meeting came almost two months since Republican House Speaker Mike Johnson and Democratic Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer agreed to a $1.59 trillion discretionary spending level for the fiscal year that began on October 1st. Despite that deal, Congress has failed to pass spending bills to fund the government, largely due to infighting by Republicans who control the House representatives by a thin majority. Speaker Mike Johnson also came out to speak with reporters after the meeting in the White House driveway about government funding and the president's aid request for Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan. And again, the speaker emphasized U.S. border security, still a House Republican main priority. We had a, um, a, a couple of meetings there. It was uh, frank and honest. I think we need more frank and honest conversations on Capitol Hill. So I was happy to participate in this. We did uh, that as a group. And then I had a uh, one-on-one for a period of time with the president, just he and I in the Oval Office. Uh, let me say this. When I showed up today, my purpose was to express what I believe is the obvious truth. And that is that we must take care of America's needs first. When you talk about America's needs, you have to talk first about our open border. I've been, I believe, in uh, maybe 20-something states over the last several weeks, going around the country, uh, appearing at events with my colleagues, and we're hearing from the American people of all parties and all persuasions in all cities and all states who feel this acutely. They understand the catastrophe at the border is affecting everyone. And it is top of mind for all the American people for that reason. So I brought that issue up repeatedly today in that room and, and again one-on-one with the president. I think that's our responsibility uh, to bring that up. The other big priority for our country, of course, is the funding of our government. And we have been working in good faith around the clock every single day for months and, and weeks and over the last several days, quite literally around the clock, to get that job done. We're very optimistic. I, I hope that the other leaders came out here and told you the same. We believe that we can get to agreement on these issues and prevent a government shutdown, and that's our first uh, responsibility. Uh, You also heard, I'm sure, that there was um, discussion about the supplemental uh, spending package, and uh, I was very clear with the president and all those in the room that the House is actively uh, pursuing and uh, investigating all the various options on that, and we will address that in a timely manner. But again, the first priority of the country is our border and making sure it's secure. I I believe the president can take executive authority right now today to change that. And I told him that again today in person, as as I've said to him many times, publicly and privately over the last several weeks. It's time for action. It is a catastrophe and it must stop. And we will get the government funded and we'll keep working on that. So we'll have more for you soon. House Speaker Mike Johnson, Republican from Louisiana, with reporters in the White House driveway. The Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky did not come out to the White House driveway location with the reporters. Instead, he went back to Capitol Hill and spoke during the regular Tuesday Senate Republican leadership news conference. As you know, we were uh, four of us were at the White House with President Biden earlier uh, in the day. And I think it's pretty safe to say we all agree we need to avoid a government shutdown. The speaker was optimistic that they'll be able to move forward first with the four bills. And um, under no circumstances does anybody want to shut the government down. So I think we can stop that 
drama right here before it uh, emerges. We're simply not going to do that. So um, we're going to come close, I hope, to having an orderly appropriations process, obviously not by the time we should have done it, but better than we've done some years uh, by getting this four through and then doing the balance of them as a minibus a little bit later. The Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell in the U.S. Capitol building at a news conference. The Hill.com writes that conservatives' demands for controversial policy additions to spending bills are stalling efforts to fund the government by Friday, nudging the country closer to a partial government shutdown and sparking frustration among lawmakers in both parties. And The Hill lists some of those demands, cutting Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas's salary entirely, blocking travel cost reimbursements for service members who obtain abortions, and defunding elements of the Biden administration's climate agenda. At the White House, the press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, gave her perspective on the White House Oval Office meeting between the president and the congressional leaders about government funding and aid to Ukraine and Israel. In the past, you've described uh, Speaker Johnson's proposals as not serious regarding government funding, the border, uh, Ukraine. In the Oval Office today, was Speaker Johnson serious? Did he meet the threshold that the White House has set in the past? So a couple of things. I know some, uh, I know that Uh, Senator Schumer said it was intense. Yes, the meeting was intense, but it was also very productive. And I think that's important uh, to take that into account. A couple of things uh, that I would say is that all four uh, congressional leaders agreed with the president and the vice president uh, that a shutdown is unacceptable. But as you all know, the clock is ticking. It is ticking. It has been ticking for some time now, and it continues to do so, right, as it relates, uh, obviously, to uh, to, um, a potential shutdown, but also, uh, but also what we're seeing, right, with the national security supplemental. This is something that we uh, put forth back in October, and as it relates to that, all four uh, leaders also understood the gravity, the gravity of the situation in Ukraine, and they heard. And here's the thing: they heard a sobering uh, account from the CIA director who was in the room. Uh, about uh, about how Ukraine has lost ground on the battlefield. You heard me say that at the top uh, in recent weeks because of congressional inaction. And so this is the reality. This is the reality that Ukraine is in. This is the reality that we're in when we talk about our national security. And this is the reality that Congress is in. They have not taken action. And so we are seeing what's happening currently in the battlefield in Ukraine. So as the president said, there are consequences. uh, And the consequences are incredibly dire. Congress must take action. We have to support our national security. And that is what the president, that was the, the message that went into to uh, during that uh, during that meeting uh, and that's how we saw the meeting play out all four congressional leaders were in agreement on those on, on those uh, two pieces that I just laid out here it is incredibly important to move forward uh, the clock is ticking here White House press secretary Karina Jean-Pierre during her news conference in the White House briefing room NBC News reports if Congress cannot figure out a path forward on funding this week, the Departments of Agriculture, Energy, Transportation, Veterans Affairs, and Housing and Urban Development, as well as other programs, will all shut down at 12.01 a.m. Eastern Time Saturday. Funding for the rest of the government, including the Defense, State, Homeland Security, and Justice Departments, expires a week later at 12.01 a.m. 
March 9th. Even a partial shutdown beginning this weekend would result in furloughs for hundreds of thousands of federal workers and halt pay for those at affected departments who still have to report to work. would also jeopardize food aid programs for women and children, halt loans to American farmers, and freeze hiring and training of air traffic controllers at a time when the country faces a critical shortage. Under a recently passed law, federal workers would receive back pay after a shutdown ends. That was from NBC News. Wall Street today, the Dow down 96, NASDAQ up 59, S&P up 8. Another NBC News article reads, after the suspect in the slaying of nursing student Lake and Riley was revealed to be an undocumented immigrant from Venezuela, students at the University of Georgia and Latino organizations have made pleas against hateful rhetoric directed at Hispanics and immigrants. The Latino Community Fund Georgia said that it had been monitoring instances of folks that have been saying that they want to go hunting for immigrants, which Gilda Pedraza, executive director and founder of the group, described as damaging narratives and a very real-life threat. And that was from NBC News. U.S. Senator Shelley Mark Capito, Republican of West Virginia, spoke about this case and U.S. border security and immigration during the Senate Republican Leadership News Conference in Washington. I would like to talk a little bit about Lake and Riley and what we see with the illegal immigrant who's been arrested in her murder. If we think about it from a from a parent perspective or from a friend perspective, how many times throughout our lives do we do we think our children or that we're in a safe place? We're going to go out for a run on our on a college campus very close to where we're in school. In the middle, you know, of a very safe safe area. And the next thing you get is the call as the parent that your daughter's been murdered, brutally murdered. And then you hear the circumstances of the person who's been arrested for her murder. This is so, so avoidable. And it does lay right at the feet of President Joe Biden. His catch and release policies are the reason his use of parole is the reason that one individual impacted that family and her friends for the rest of their lives. And so, As Joni just mentioned, I would implore the president to do something, to do something. It's been within his power. I think it's sort of not even ironic, but a little bit laughable that now you're reading reports where the president says, I might do an executive order. Haven't we all been saying you can do executive orders like President Trump did? You could have done this three years ago. And maybe Lake and Riley would still be with us here today. So for that reason and that reason alone and all of the other issues that go along with not knowing who these folks are, where they're from, what their intentions are, what kind of criminal records they have, President Biden has got to do something and do it quickly. Senator Shelley Moore Capito, Republican from West Virginia, today at a news conference in Washington. Congresswoman Katie Porter, Democrat of California, who is a candidate for U.S. Senate, was asked about the Lakin Riley killing Monday night on CNN. Former President Donald Trump today called it out. He, he writes on uh, social media, the monster who took her life illegally entered our country in 2022 and then was released again by radical Democrats in New York after injuring a child. Do you share his outrage? Well, I think when a horrible tragedy like, like this happens, I think whenever we're dealing um, with violent crime, there is a sense of outrage, of sadness and of loss 
But I think the important thing to focus on is any one instance shouldn't shape our overall immigration policy, which has so many different facets, including economic choices about what workers to allow in and how to create prosperity in America. So the situation is tragic and it's a loss and it's important to acknowledge that, but also to recognize all the other how all the other parts of immigration policy fit together. Congresswoman Katie Porter, Democrat from California, interviewed on CNN Monday night. Articles of impeachment that the House recently passed on Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas deal with immigration and border security. It's an article from Fox News that reads, there is a growing frustration among the 11 House impeachment managers about when they will present their articles to the Senate. House managers serve as prosecutors and argue the impeachment case before the Senate. One impeachment manager told Fox they had been given no clear guidance about the roles they might play or when the House may even transmit the articles to the Senate. Fox was told the earliest the Senate could begin a trial is Wednesday. However, the decision lies at the feet of House Speaker Mike Johnson. That was from Fox News. There are also questions about what kind of trial the Senate may hold or whether there would be a quick motion to dismiss the articles. Today, the Senate Majority Whip, John Thune, Republican from South Dakota, argued for a full trial. The House of Representatives has determined that Secretary Mayorkas has committed impeachable offenses. That issue will come before the United States Senate. Uh, I believe the Senate needs to hold a trial. Uh, I think this is, a, this is such a, a miscarriage of the law, and it is important that uh, the United States senators sit and hear, and the American people hear, about this incredible crisis at our southern border, and um, people need to be held accountable. And I think this is the way to do that. So I'm going to uh, make the argument, and I'm sure the Democrats will try to dismiss it, but that we ought to be having a trial, conducting a trial in the United States Senate to determine, uh, again, whether or not these are impeachable offenses. Senate Majority Whip John Thune, Republican from South Dakota, at a news conference. The Senate Democratic leadership also held a news conference today in the U.S. Capitol building, and the Majority Leader Chuck Schumer asked what his plans were about the impeachment. McConnell and Thune both said there should be a full Senate trial for Alejandro Mayorkas. How are you going to handle it? Will there be a motion to dismiss, or will you refer this to an evidentiary committee like has been done in the past? Look, as I've said, the... Uh, the um, impeachment of Mayorkas is absurd. There's not one drop of evidence that leads to any kind of charge of impeachment, and uh, we're going to handle it in the best way possible. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, a story from Associated Press reads that if Senator Schumer can muster a simple majority, Democrats could dismiss the trial outright or move to table the two articles, ending the House's effort and allowing the Senate to move on to other business. Getting to 51 votes would require every single Democrat and the chamber's three independents to vote to dismiss, or potentially fewer if any Republicans join them. While several GOP senators have questioned the need for a trial, it's unclear whether any of them would go as far as to vote to dismiss the charges right at the start. That was from Associated Press. Washington Today continues in a moment. This is Rachel from C-SPAN's podcast team, along with my colleague, Nate. Join us as we celebrate C-SPAN's 45th anniversary and our inaugural Founders Day campaign. It all started as a bold experiment on March 19, 1979, when C-SPAN first brought coverage of the House of Representatives into living rooms across America. Let's celebrate C-SPAN's visionary founders who believed in offering unfiltered access to the inner workings of our political process. From Congress to the White House to the courts and beyond, C-SPAN has documented history unfolding without commentary or spin for over four decades. 
Help us keep it going. Visit cspan.org slash donate today to give a gift in celebration of C-SPAN's Founders Day. Your donation honors the original vision of C-SPAN's founders and helps to advance our mission for years to come. Make your donation today at cspan.org slash donate. Thank you. Welcome back to Washington Today, available as a podcast on the C-SPAN Now mobile app, which is free and wherever you find your podcasts. Senator Tammy Duckworth, an Illinois Democrat, writes CBS News, said she plans to bring up a vote on legislation that would safeguard access to in vitro fertilization nationwide on Wednesday, as the issue has come into the political spotlight in recent weeks, following a ruling by the Alabama Supreme Court that has led clinics in the state to halt the treatments. The Alabama ruling found that embryos are children under state law, leading some providers in the state to halt services over fears that they could face legal repercussions if the treatment failed. Senator Duckworth said she plans to bring up a vote on legislation under unanimous consent, which could be halted by opposition from just a single lawmaker. In 2022, Senate Republicans blocked the vote. That was from CBS News. Senator Duckworth spoke at a news conference today with other Senate Democrats, and she also talked about having two children through IVF. The very people who claim to be defending family values are actively trying to enact policies that would actually prevent Americans from creating those families. IVF providers around the state in Alabama have already paused treatment out of fear that their doctors and patients could be criminally punished. And now that the first domino has fallen, it may only be a matter of time before more hospitals make the same call, before more courts issue similar rulings putting more women at risk. You know, I was stationed in Alabama for a bit when I was in the Army. In fact, it's the home of Fort Novacell, the home of Army Aviation. I didn't know it at the time, but my infertility would become one of the most heartbreaking struggles of my life. My miscarriage more painful than any wound I ever earned on the battlefield. So it's a little personal to me when a majority male court suggests that people like me who are not able to have kids without the help of modern medicine should be in jail cells and not taking care of their babies in nurseries. I know I'm not alone when I struggle to understand how politicians who support this kind of policy can possibly call themselves pro-life. After Roe v. Wade was overturned, actually even before then, when Donald Trump promised to only appoint justices who would overturn it, I warned that red states would come for IVF. And now they have. But they aren't just going to stop in Alabama. Mark my words, if we don't act now, it will only get worse. That's why tomorrow I'm headed to the Senate floor to call on my colleagues to pass, via unanimous consent, my Access to Family Building Act which would ensure that every American's right to become a parent via treatments like IVF is fully protected, regardless of what state they live in, guaranteeing that no hopeful parent or doctor is punished. Senator Tammy Duckworth, Democrat from Illinois, at a news conference with other Democrats co-sponsoring that bill. A Politico article reads that congressional Republicans have rushed to defend IVF in the aftermath of a controversial Alabama Supreme Court ruling, even as many have signed onto so-called personhood legislation with no carve-out for embryos in clinics. Senator Duckworth said that despite the stampede of GOP officials expressing support for IVF since the Alabama ruling dropped, she has not heard from any colleagues across the aisle willing to support her bill, though some, including Senator Mitt Romney, Republican of Utah, have said they're willing to consider the legislation. Other conservatives, such as Senator Ron Johnson, Republican of Wisconsin, insist it's unnecessary, dismissing the idea that other states 
could quickly follow in Alabama's footsteps. That was the reporting from Politico. Senator Tommy Tuberville, Republican from Alabama, got a few questions about IVF outside the U.S. Capitol building from Rachel Scott, ABC News senior congressional correspondent who posted the video on X. Back and forth on this issue. Do you support the Supreme Court's decision? I support that people that want to have IVF are supporting 100%. Okay, but that's not what the Supreme Court's decision is allowing at this point. I know, but the the state's getting ready to pass a law in Alabama that it's going to be okay. Pass it, that it's that it's. uh, that's going to be positive, so why? But still, there are women that are left in the balance. I just came back from Alabama. I talked to one woman. She's on her last embryo transfer. It was scheduled for tomorrow. And now she has to start all over. Is that acceptable to you? Well, not really. Now, I want everybody, if they want kids, if they can't have it, uh, and that's the only way they can have it, I want them to be able to use that. So is this the wrong move by the Alabama Supreme Court? Supreme Court. And that's the reason the state legislature is going to go back and pass a law where it's it's legal. So to be clear, you believe it's the wrong move? Wrong move by the Supreme Court. Yes. 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 You do. Okay. Thank you so much for the time, Senator. Senator Tommy Tuberville, Republican from Alabama, with ABC News reporter Rachel Scott, who posted that video. The Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra traveling to Alabama today, hearing from people impacted by the Alabama Supreme Court's ruling in this case. And this is Washington Today. Turning to the war between Israel and Hamas, Reuters reports that Israel and Hamas, as well as Qatari mediators, all sounded notes of caution on Tuesday about progress towards a truce in Gaza after U.S. President Joe Biden said he believed a ceasefire could be reached in under a week to halt the war for Ramadan. Hamas is now weighing a proposal agreed by Israel at talks with mediators in Paris last week for a ceasefire that would suspend fighting for 40 days, which would be the first extended truce of the five-month-old war. Both sides have delegations in Qatar this week hammering out the details. According to a source close to the talks, the Paris proposal would see militants free some but not all the hostages they're holding in return for the release of hundreds of Palestinian detainees, a surge in humanitarian aid for Gaza and Israeli troops pulling out of populated areas in that enclave. That was from Reuters. The U.S. State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller asked about the state of play at his news conference in Washington. The president's comments uh, talking about Sunday as, uh, as, as the goal for a ceasefire. What can you tell us about that? Is that, is that a goal? Is that something that, that is actually uh, maybe not a deadline, but something that you think is, is possible? So our goal is to achieve a deal to uh, reach a humanitarian pause and the release of hostages as soon as possible. Certainly we'd welcome getting one by this weekend. Um, what I can say about the overall progress is that we made significant progress towards an agreement last week when Uh, We had uh, officials from the United States government engaging in the region. We continue to pursue further progress this week. Uh, American officials across the government continue to be engaged on this question. Um, We are trying to push this deal over the finish line. We do think it's possible. But as you've heard me say before, ultimately, some of this comes down to Hamas and whether Hamas is willing to agree to uh, a deal that would provide significant benefits to the Palestinian people that they claim to represent. Sure. Uh, I mean, you say that it's possible by, by the end of the weekend. And you mentioned the U.S. diplomacy. I mean, are there 
what, what needs to happen for that to, to take place? Are there actual talks that are going on actively with the, the U.S. on? So I'm not going to I'm not going to negotiate in public, but there are talks that continue. American officials continue to engage on this and uh, discuss it with uh, our counterparts in the government of Israel as well as the governments of. Uh, Qatar and Egypt, and we continue to push to try to get this deal over the finish line. We think it's possible. We think we can reach a deal, but ultimately we would need Hamas to say yes. We would need Hamas to agree to a deal that would allow for the release of hostages, which never should have been taken in the first place, that would allow for a temporary ceasefire and allow increased humanitarian assistance to come in. As I said, that is a deal that is not just in the interests of the hostages, obviously. It's not just in the interests of uh, the government of Israel or the Israeli people. It is an inter a deal that is in the interests of the Palestinian people. So we will continue to push for it because we think it's uh, uh, in the interests of all parties concerned. The State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller at his news conference in Washington. Israel has agreed to resume transferring tax revenues to the Palestinian Authority to fund basic services and bolster the West Bank economy. And money has begun to flow, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said on Tuesday. That was reporting from Jerusalem Post. Secretary Yellen said in remarks prepared for a news conference, noting that Washington had been urging the Palestinian government to release the so-called clearance revenue to the Palestinian Authority. She gave no further details. Palestinian leaders say their ability to govern has been effectively blocked by Israeli restrictions, including withholding of tax revenues due under the Oslo Accord side 30 years ago. And that was reporting from Jerusalem Post. Secretary Yellen made these remarks at a news conference at the G20 finance ministers and central bank governors meeting in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. The United States has urged the Israeli government to release clearance revenue to the Palestinian Authority to fund basic services and to bolster the economy in the West Bank. I welcome news that an agreement has been reached and funds have started to flow, and this must continue. I also recently outlined in a letter to Prime Minister Netanyahu a number of steps that the United States believe must be taken, including reinstating work permits for Palestinians and reducing barriers to commerce within the West Bank. These actions are vital for the economic well-being of Palestinians and Israel, Israelis alike. And we support the World Bank's commitments to emergency food security assistance in Gaza and economic support for the West Bank and the ongoing MDB and IMF programs in Egypt and Jordan. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen at her news conference in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, at the G20 finance ministers' meeting. As the war between Israel and Hamas continues in Gaza, Houthi rebels in Yemen have continued to carry out attacks on shipping in the Red Sea, they say, in support of the Palestinians. Today in Washington, D.C., the U.S. Special Envoy for Yemen and the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for the Middle East testified before a Senate Foreign Relations subcommittee about U.S. operations to deter the Houthi attacks. Here's part of the hearing with Senator Todd Young, Republican of Indiana, questioning the Assistant Defense Secretary Daniel Shapiro about whether the Biden administration's actions have triggered the War Powers Act, requiring congressional approval. You're then going to hear remarks by Senator Tim Kaine, Democrat from Virginia. Has the United States military entered into hostilities with the Houthis? Yes or no? 
I, I, I represented the administration. These are strikes uh, on Houthi targets. Uh, that might be the, the a correct term. I don't know if that's the correct legal term uh, for what we're engaged in. But we obviously have struck, uh, as I said, uh, many, many targets uh, in Yemen uh, where the Houthis have weapons that they have used and are using and, uh, and sometimes are in the process of using uh, against us and against our partners. What is, uh, I'll change gears a little bit. What's the long-term assessment of what authorities the administration is going to need if it continues this prolonged exchange of fire with the Houthis? It's very hard to speculate on hypotheticals about how the conflict could evolve. Uh, until now, I think we feel very strongly the president has the authorities, the ones I've articulated. Uh, I don't think there's any question, and this hearing is part of that, that the administration is committed to consult with Congress uh, on uh, additional actions uh, going forward and, yeah. and the authorities uh, under which they'd be conducted. Thank you. W what's the administration's anticipated endpoint at, at which it assesses it has restored deterrence. We need to see the Houthis stop these attacks. Uh, we clearly have not seen that yet. They clearly feel that it serves uh, some interest, whether it's an internal one, whether it's an Iranian agenda, uh, whether it's a regional uh, raising of their profile, uh, whatever it is, and we have removed and degraded considerable capability. They still have capability. Yes, sir. Uh, so until they stop, uh, we, are, we are not done. So just extending that, not done, can you characterize for me what level of military activity uh, is, is going to be necessary, the administration is prepared to take, to reach that end point so that they're not done? Uh, uh, Senator, again, it's very hard to speculate. Much of it depends on when they decide they have uh, endured enough of the uh, strikes that we uh, and degraded enough of the capability that we are, are capable of and, and exercising now on, 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 on an ongoing basis. Uh, we hope to restore stability and de-escalate tensions in the region very soon. So we don't want to assume this will take uh, a, a particular amount of time. Uh, we want to uh, use all the tools and the partners and the capabilities we have uh, to make very clear to them and, of course, to Iran, their, their supporters and sponsors, uh, that this must end and we'll continue to take action until it comes to an end. Chairman. Senator Kane. Thank you, Mr. Chair, and thank you to the witnesses. Um, Houthi behavior is abhorrent, but I've got to admit, I have grave skepticism about what we are doing right now. I have grave skepticism about the legal authorities. I have grave skepticism about the absence of true shared responsibility with nations whose ships are being attacked by the Houthis. Why should the U.S. and the U.K. be shouldering the burden of protecting other nations' ships? And I have serious skepticism about the effectiveness of this operation in terms of de-escalating into the attacks on the Red Sea. Senator Tim Kaine, Democrat from Virginia, at a Senate Foreign Relations Subcommittee hearing with the testimony from the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for the Middle East, Daniel Shapiro. And also there was the U.S. Special Envoy for Yemen, Timothy Lenderking. And you also heard questions from Senator Todd Young, Republican from Indiana. You can find the full hearing at our video library at cspan.org. The Israeli news outlet Globes reports that Houthis have damaged four underwater communications cables in the Red Sea between Jeddah in Saudi Arabia and Djibouti in East Africa. Finally, on Washington today, some U.S. presidential campaign news. Today is the Michigan primary for both the Republicans and the Democrats. Senator John Thune, Republican of South Dakota, minority whip, has endorsed Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump for president. 
Senator Thune had supported Senator Tim Scott, Republican of South Carolina, until Senator Scott dropped out of the race. And the New York Times reports that people close to Donald Trump and the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican of Kentucky, quote, are working behind the scenes to make bygones of the enmity between them and to pave the way for a critical endorsement of the former president by the highest ranking Republican holdout so far, according to three people familiar with both teams' perspectives who were not authorized to discuss the situation publicly. That was the quote from the New York Times article. Senator McConnell was asked at his news conference today about this. He said, I have nothing to report on that today. Teamsters General President Sean O'Brien says that union will meet with President Joe Biden on March 12th. The union members met with Donald Trump a few weeks ago. Politico writes the Teamsters historically is a Democratic mainstay, though a sizable contingent of its membership leans Republican, and the union has pledged to hold an open process in evaluating presidential candidates this cycle. And President Biden was asked about another possible endorsement during his appearance Monday night on the show Late Night with Seth Meyers on NBC. There are 18 percent of Americans, according to recent polling, have... um Believe that you and Taylor Swift are actually uh, working in cahoots. <laughs> and after the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl, uh, you, uh, you posted this on social media and wrote, <laughs> you wrote, just like we drew it up. <laughs> now, can you, I have you on the hotspot here, can you confirm or deny that there is an active conspiracy between you and Miss Swift? Where are you getting this information? <laughs> it's classified. It's classified information? That's classified you won't share it with us? I'm not gonna, but I will tell you, she did endorse me in 2020. She did. I bet you, you might be wondering. You might be wondering. Is it, you think it might come around again? I told you it's classified. <laughs> President Biden on the NBC show Late Night with host Seth Myers on Monday. Thanks for listening to Washington Today. Subscribe to C-SPAN's free evening newsletter word for word and get the stories making headlines in Washington sent to your inbox every day. Sign up at cspan.org slash connect. Have a good night.